Hello, and welcome to the All Saints Podcast. I'm Hugh Cole. Thank you for joining us this week for our second installment in the series, Calling. We had a great conversation last week with Dave Buring, and today we get to speak with someone a little closer to home, our own Father Matthew Kozlowski. I hope you enjoy. I started by asking Matthew to give us his definition of being called. Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks, Hugh, and thanks for having me on. So when I think about call, I think about a job. I think about ministry. I think about, you know, what it means to be Christian. And in the sense of being a minister, I guess there's this sense of being a professional Christian. Oh, that's not necessarily a great way to look at it. I guess I want to back up, though, and say, in terms of being called to ministry, everybody is called to ministry, right? You know, so if you're a baptized Christian, you are called to ministry. And somebody say, well, what does that look like? You say, well, you know, somebody could teach Sunday school. That's a ministry. Somebody could do a podcast. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a ministry. Somebody could be the leader of a small group or a Bible study. You know, that's a ministry. And all of those ministries are able to be done and done beautifully and effectively for the glory of God without being, quote unquote, ordained. So then you kind of go a different step and say, well, what does it mean to be called to, you know, ordained ministry? And what that means is that people have come around you and the church has come around you and said, okay, we want to lift you up for a particular role (laughs) in the kingdom of God. And that is to say, you know, ordained ministry is a particular role of leadership. And then in our church tradition, there is the the sacramental aspect of it. That is, you know, an ordained person in the Episcopal church or the Catholic church or Lutheran church, you know, does perform baptism, Eucharist, weddings, uh, last rites, you know, these are the sacraments of the church. Um, confession, and they are, you know, the responsibility of the the priests to do those. Was there someone, um, I, I mean, I think the obvious answers to these are sort of like, you know, Danielle or your family, but was there someone that, that lifted you up in that process more so than than others? Was there someone that sort of stands out in your in your sort of process of discernment that you say, yeah, this person was a real game changer in my calling toward to the priesthood? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'll answer the question and then I'll back up and give some background on why it's such a good question. (laughs) Okay, so for me, I was thinking about this, is this priest, now he'll probably never hear this, but his name was Joel Ives. And he was the priest at this little church on Nantucket Island. And Danielle and I had gotten to go there in college and we started showing up to this little Episcopal church there on Sundays And we were probably interesting because we were the youngest people that actually, you know, came to church and stayed for coffee hour. And he wrote me a letter or an email. I think it was a letter, actually. And he said, Matthew, I know I've only just known you for a little bit, but I feel that you should be a priest. (laughs) And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I just want to let you know that I have a, a feeling that that's what you're called to. 
And that was so cool because this guy knew me, but he didn't know, you know, what I was studying at college or he didn't know too much about my faith upbringing. But he said, there, there's something about you and something about my interactions with you, which I think you should be a priest. <laughs> and so that one meant a lot to me. So thank you, Father Joel Ives, wherever you are. So then I, let me back up and say, you know, why that's such a good point about call. When somebody's called to the ordained ministry, there are at least two facets of it. There's the internal calling and then the external calling. So the internal calling comes with a lot of personal prayer and discernment and thought about, am I really on the path to being an ordained minister, you know, to being a priest? Is this what God is asking me to do? Is this what I am prayerfully considering? And like I said, that's all kind of personal internal work that you do. And then at the same time, there has to be an external call that is a person or more, usually more, who come around you and say, hey, you know, we support you. And we think, yeah, that God is calling you toward this. And you need to have both of those. You got to have the internal and the external, because I was thinking of an example that I could talk about with you, Hugh. Um, I know you like baseball. So if I said to you, hey, Hugh, I really feel called to be a major league baseball pitcher, you know, um, specifically, I feel called to play for the Orioles. And I think I feel called to be a lefty relief pitcher, power specialist. Yeah. And you say, well, Matthew, I think that's great that you're having that personal call. But um, first of all, as far as I know, you're not left-handed. <laughs> and uh, you know, as far as I know, you didn't play baseball in college. Uh, and as far as I know, you don't really have a, an in with the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of like a funny example, but the point is that you have to have the internal call matched with then somebody who says, yeah, I, I agree. And I also see those same gifts in you. And I also feel that, that God, you know, is leading you in this path. And when that comes together and there are some official aspects of it as well, you know, with, with a bishop and a committee and that kind of stuff, all the paperwork side of it. But point being, there's the, the internal that matches the external. And then there's sort of a confirmation that, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, God has put his hand. God has, God has put, uh, you know, a mark on this person and, and called them forward to the ministry. Um, so I just think it's important to point out that given the state of the Orioles right now, they can use all the help they can get. So if you, <laughs> if you can throw the ball over the plate, by all means. So that's an interesting point because I think what it what it brings up is the idea that uh, no matter how hard someone is working on their relationship with God and praying and reading scripture and trying to understand that relationship in more depth, it also requires, I, I think, a willingness to take the risk of expressing that relationship and and what you feel like may be your calling to the people around you and sort of broadcasting that out so that those people can come around you and, and lift you up. Yeah, that's a great point. So, you know, ministry has a private component to it, <laughs> but it's not private, right? Yeah. So when you go into ordained ministry, especially you are putting yourself out there, you know, you're putting yourself in a community, 
Uh, you are inviting yourself into people's lives. And one of the great graces of ordained ministry is that people do, um, you know, trust you with some of the most important moments in their lives. So yeah, that comes with a, a responsibility and an opportunity to put yourself out there to live your faith in front of other people. And not that you're trying to measure up by putting yourself on a pedestal and trying to be this glittering image of a Christian. But, you know, just honestly, your faith is a little bit more public than it would be otherwise. So yeah, if you're not ready for that, or um, if I, you know, at that point didn't think I was ready for that, then probably need to wait a little bit longer or, or think differently about a call to the, to the ordained ministry. Um, so when did that start for you personally? Was that, I'm assuming it wasn't sort of a sitting bolt upright in the middle of the night kind of revelation. It was probably more of a gradual um, coming around to that. Was Can you give us a little bit of a background as to when you started that process and sort of how, it, how that journey looked over the course of, of time? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and somebody said, you know, not everybody is a St. Paul. There are plenty of other people in the Bible who were not knocked off their horse with a, a, a bolt of sun. You know, there are other people in the New Testament who were, you know, raised in the faith and had kind of a gradual, gradual dawning. Um, so Timothy, for example, that, that's, uh, you know, somebody once said to me, not everybody is a Paul. Some people are a Timothy. So for me, I've been in church as long as I can remember, but it was in college and at Christian summer camp that I first started thinking about, you know, a call to seminary. And especially when I was teaching at an Episcopal school and I was part of chapel services every week that I really, and again, had, had people coming to me saying, you know, have you, have you thought about going to seminary? And what was your answer to that? Had you thought about it at that point? Well, you know, so seminary is a funny word. Let's talk about this for a while, because yeah. I think a lot of people think, and I certainly thought that seminary is a place where you learn a lot of stuff and you kind of gain the knowledge to be a quote unquote professional Christian. Okay. So I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to learn everything about the Bible. And then I'm going to learn everything about church history. And then I'm going to learn everything about theology and systematic theology. And then I'll come out and I'll be this really smart person that people can come to with their hard questions about life. And I'll be one of those people that just seems like they know what Christianity is all about. And I'll be able to give really great sermons and I'll be able to help people in their faith. And that's what seminary will do. And, you know, then you get to seminary and then you get out into the church world and you realize there's so much more to ministry than, you know, what you can remember from your New Testament class or church history, you know, section one. Um, obviously, once you're in a church, there's the relational piece of ministry. There's, you know, working with a church staff. There's, you know, vestry meetings and thinking about taking care of the building. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm an associate rector right now, which is a, a great gig, let me tell you, because I have a lot of wonderful responsibilities and get to do a lot of ministry. Uh, but my wonderful boss, Father Ed, is in charge of some of those big decisions having to deal with money and the building and the vestry. But my point is that there's a whole wonderful set of complexities that come along with, especially parish ministry, 
that, yeah, they just don't teach you in seminary, not because they don't want to, but actually because they can't, or they could try, but there are some things, I mean, you know, that you just don't get until you're there in the situation. I mean, yeah, so Hugh, you've worked in real estate, right? Well, so it's interesting because it sort of raises the question that you're, or at least the, what you're implying is that it's similar to what I think a lot of people go through when they go to get a, a, you know, a law degree or an MBA or whatever, which is there's a lot more to business than just, you know, economics and, you know, marketing and, and those types of things. And there's a lot more to law than just sort of reading, you know, codes and, and studying precedents. It's to your point, it's a lot about the relational aspect of what you do and success in those industries is not just book learning. It's also common sense and real life and all the different things that, that you learn just sort of on the job training rather than in the classroom training. Well, yeah. So I mean, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, somebody one time came into my office and talked to me about a really hard situation that she was going through because her dog had been put down and just the way it happened ended up being really kind of traumatic for her. And she was trying to process all of this. And we talked and we prayed. But even in the moment, I was like, wow, nobody prepared me for this kind of, you know, there's no class that you can take <laughs> to sure. talk about this. So one of the things though that you learn in ministry, just like in business, is being able to be in the moment. And as you gain experience, and I'm certainly not all the way there yet, but it slows down for you a little bit. There's another sports analogy for you, mm -hmm. right? We sure. talk about basketball players really progressing to the highest levels of playing basketball or football mm -hmm. too. What do they always say? Uh, the game slows down. Sure. And what they mean by that, I think, is that their, their brains or their spirits are able to kind of process the game more quickly and sort of be in the moment. There's a limit to that analogy because, you know, ministry is not a game, but being in the moment with somebody like that talking about, you know, her dog being put down, you can stop and even pray in the midst of the conversation and say, Lord God, give me wisdom, give me compassion, give me charity, give me humility, give me wisdom at this moment that I can offer some words to this person or rather, Lord God, that you could offer some words to this person and offer them through me. And that was a particular moment that just comes to mind where, quote unquote, the game slowed down a little bit for me and it ended up being a really special conversation. So it's interesting. I'll take the sports analogy a little further. And for yeah. all those folks out there that aren't sports fans, I apologize. We're beating the <laughs> horse to death. But um, I was listening to an analyst, and a, a hockey analyst earlier today who said that, uh, he was describing a, a play by a defenseman and he said that the defenseman was sort of under pressure and he kind of made a mistake because he was under so much pressure and he ended up turning the puck over. Um, and the, the analyst said when he was a player, what he tried to do in those moments of feeling immense pressure was to go back to two foundational things that he always remembered, which was, you know, move your feet and okay. keep your head up. Those were the two foundational tenets that he always sort of fell back on in those moments of pressure. Do you have sort of a, a foundational piece of scripture or a prayer that you sort of always go back to in those moments of pressure or maybe when you're oh. up that kind of get you back focused on the, the task at hand? Oh, what a good story. That, that's great. Well, because it's right. There are only so many things that you can keep in your head. 
you know, and probably two is like the limit. <laughs> three, <Right. laughs> three, if you're really, really good at anything. So keep your head up and move your feet. So in ministry, here's a funny one. I was listening to someone give a talk to a huge group of middle schoolers, like 300 middle schoolers. And the person giving the talk started by saying, there are two things that are true in life. Number one, there is a God. Number two, it's not you. <laughs> and it brought down the house, right? It was, it was a great way to start a talk. And as a piece of philosophy and theology, that's actually pretty good, yeah. you know, because essentially so much of what gets us into trouble is trying to be our own God. Uh, and actually, if you read the Bible carefully, that's really a huge story of the Bible is people constantly trying to be their own gods or to make right. their own gods <laughs> and Yahweh come along and saying, oh, you are my people and I am your God. Uh, so that, that's a good one. Um, there is a God and I am not God. Another one is the virtues. And Hugh, you might have heard me talk about the virtues in an adult ed class, but it's mm -hmm. something that I worked with my doctoral dissertation on. And St. Francis in particular talks about the virtues. And then there's one of his writings where he lists six virtues. And I have these written down on cards around my office and around my desk. And I say them every morning at the end of my prayers. And it's almost like a little mantra, but they are charity, humility, poverty, patience, wisdom, and joy. Sometimes when I'm just saying a prayer for <laughs> overall <laughs> uh -huh. uh, mental health or spiritual health, I'll rattle off those uh, Franciscan virtues, charity, yeah. humility, poverty, patience, wisdom, joy. We've obviously talked about the fact that, um, that everyone is called to something or everyone can be called to something. Um, there are those people out there that are, uh, probably living out their calling or those that are enjoying what they're doing, but are maybe thinking that there's more or something different for them. And there are certainly some people out there that are, that are sure that they're not doing what they're being called yeah. to do. Do you have a piece of advice for, for people who are wanting to enter a process of discernment? Oh, well, that's a great point because discernment is a broad term that applies to everybody. Sometimes it's used in the church world as thinking about being an ordained minister. But really, discernment as a holistic concept is exactly what you just said, Hugh. People sitting down and thinking about their gifts, thinking about what God has blessed them with, thinking about the contribution that they can make to the world. And look, at DC is the first place where I've lived where I've met people who are lobbyists mm -hmm. and understood what a gratifying and powerful, interesting job that can be. But I've met some fascinating Christian lobbyists here in DC. And to be called to something like that, you know, can be a calling. Let me answer the question by saying something that I sometimes say to myself when I'm writing a sermon. I'll be saying, what do I want to say? What do I want to say? What do I want to say here? And then I stop and I pray and I say, God, what do your people need to hear this week through me? Or God, what, what can I say that will be a blessing to your people. And when I get there, usually the path opens in a new and special way. 
So to broaden that statement, you know, we're all working in our jobs and we're saying, okay, Lord God, what does this community need or what do your people need from me in this vocation that can bring glory to you and your kingdom? And I would say that opens up a whole different way of thinking about a job and a career. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. I appreciate that. I think I would say one more thing uh, as part of this conversation though. So vocation is part of who we are and your job is part of your identity and part of your life, but it's not the whole of your identity, you know, and it's not the whole of your life. So, you know, here I am, Matthew, I'm a priest, but I'm also a father, you know, and here you are, Hugh, you are, you know, um, in real estate, but you're also a dad and a husband and a churchman and a Baltimore Orioles fan. So we all have different facets and hats that we wear and none of them define us outside of the fact that you are a baptized Christian and a child of God and a son of the kingdom of God. I mean, that is our primary identity. And then our vocational identity, our work identity is a slice of that. When I was preparing to go to seminary, a priest said to me one time, I want you to remember something very important because you just got married recently. He said, you're going to take vows when you get ordained as a priest. Remember that those priestly vows are always presupposed by your wedding vows. That is to say, the vows that you took to your wife before God are, let's go ahead and say it, more important than the vows you take as an ordained priest. And that really stayed with me and really struck me because what he was saying is that your marriage is so important in your life. You know, your marriage is the foundation of your life and God has called you together with Danielle and your ordination vows are subordinate to your marriage vows. You mentioned earlier as part of one of your comments about discernment and sort of figuring out what your calling was, the idea of, of doubts. Was there any point along the way that you started to have doubts about the choice that you had made or the direction that you were going or you had to, you were thinking, well, maybe, maybe this quite isn't the right path for me? Oh, that's a great question. I've definitely had doubts about where I was called to serve. I don't think on the whole, I ever doubted that I was called to be a priest once I started seminary and was ordained, but have definitely had questions about, okay, hey God, am I called to go back to the parish? I was out of parish ministry for about five years when I was working part-time at Virginia Theological Seminary and working on my PhD. And I was serving partly at a church on Sundays. But I said, Lord, am I called to go back to school ministry? Am I called to go back to the parish? And thanks be to God, God answered that one loud and clear, you know, and I'm thrilled to be back in full-time parish ministry. It's, it's really where my heart is. But I think, to be honest, everybody who's in a professional vocation will have those questions about, you know, where, where am I called to serve? I heard from a concert violinist. This must have been on TV or podcast somewhere. And 
apparently it's very difficult to be like a, a concert level violinist. I mean, there's yeah. so many people vying for those kind of spots and it's such a demanding profession and the, you know, the pay is, is good, but not as good as maybe as it should be for all that you have to go through. And, and the violinist was saying, look, to anyone out there who is thinking about this as a career, let me put it this way. Think about anything else that you could possibly do. And if you could do anything else that will make you happy, do that. And only if you can't answer with any other options, should you continue on the path to being a concert violinist? Uh -huh. You know, if, if, if you can't think of anything else that you could possibly, possibly do that will fulfill you and make you happy and give you joy, then yes, go for it. But as a last resort, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and this person is being kind of comical about it, but like, I get that, you know, having the vocation of ordained ministry, it, it is a special an interesting spot and I did get to the place where I said yeah God I don't think I would be good at anything besides or I don't think I would be as good at anything else as doing this for you and your people and that kind of keeps me going thank you again to father Matthew Kozlowski for joining us I hope you're enjoying the series so far and if you are, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by clicking subscribe. You can also rate the podcast, which is always appreciated. Join us again next week when I'll talk to one of our former associate rectors, Alex Large. Until then, have a great week.